0: Hello, listener. This is, of course, Brad, The Adventurer's Vault. If you're listening to this, it's the start of a new project that uh, I get to chair as GM uh, and writer of this campaign. And for me, I've put a lot of thought into not only the story, but what were my motivations behind it. To create something is to juggle a bit of arrogance what makes you think that one, the story you're writing is worth listening to compared to everyone else? Do I think I'm a better writer than say Richard? Do I think I'm a better writer than other GMs who have podcasts? And in many instances I say no, I don't. But it's never really been about arrogance with tabletop gaming. It's it's about love, you know, the love of the game, the love of the people you're really playing with, like those heartfelt moments and memories of, of RPGs and tabletops that you have in your mind are with people you care about, people you went along the journey with. Uh, those are the memories you make. So for me, it's not about arrogance uh, for me to write a campaign, but about you know love and uh, a chance to do something unique that my voice brings. It, it's not about that, can I do it better? It's about, can I do it different? Can I do it in a way that uh, is uniquely suited to me? It is my voice. And I, I think I can and I want to. Uh, I've had a a story brewing in mind uh, for a while now, ideas that have come to me from various sources. Uh, We we called our universe and adventures of all the stolen lands, and there's a a bit of truth to that. But, you know, I I enjoy the story Richard tells, but I hope you'll enjoy the story that I'm going to tell with some new friends and voices, too. You know, the idea with the mountain tale is, for me, I've kind of felt I've always been on on the mountain, but I, I haven't made it to the and i'd like to but not only that i'd like to bring some friends along with me when i get there but also i would like to bring you along with us because what's the point of a story without people to listen to it so i hope in the coming episodes for however long this project lasts that you'll come along with us and you'll be excited when we get there so for now here's the best that i could do enjoy the adventurer's vault a mountain tale This is the first episode of the adventures of all the mountain tale. I think we're all pretty excited. Let's go ahead and meet some of our cast. Uh, I'm just going to let you guys kind of introduce yourselves. Uh, Why don't we start with you, Adam?
1: My name is Adam. I will be playing, uh, will,
0: and I'm already regretting this, (laughs) uh, you know, and I, again, like none of you are getting paid. So it's why you're here for me to just kind of shit on you. I'm not sure. Pity? Uh, Pity, yeah. Pity, yeah.
1: I think. Yeah. That's, that's a main motivating factor. So, that's, you know, good my good deed for the year. <laughs> just get that shit out of the way. Start, start that trailer just being a piece of shit for the rest of the year. <laughs> now, this is not the first thing you've done for The Adventurer's Vault, right? It, uh, it is not. I have played voice characters for Billet Smithy slash Roddy's backstory mm. and also on Roddy's side quest. Uh, I played uh Silvis. <laughs> yeah. I He's the it. he's the
0: creepy rat guy. So this will this will be your first like full time role for us and we're I'm excited to have you. Th- again, this is the my first time like it's not like my first time GMing something for the podcast, but this will be a full campaign. Uh so, no. and this will be the first time
1: I've ever had you GM a full campaign rather than a like a short like side quest, couple mm-hmm. session style thing. So I'm pretty happy. I, pretty I'm excited. Now we're gonna go to
2: Nick. Hey. Uh, I'm Nick, and uh, I am playing Sir Arthur De. You
0: sure it's not Alex? I'm
2: pretty (laughs) sure it's not (laughs) Alex.
0: Just a uh, spoiler alert. I'm going to get that wrong because we've already had confusion. Uh, now, this is actually not your first gig for Night Owl LLC. You are involved in another podcast with Rich, aren't you? Uh, I am. But that sort of took a dump since COVID. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you start a movie review podcast in 2020. Yeah. God damn, that's got to be hard. It goes away pretty quick. <laughs> you can stream so much. Hopefully, you know, we get back to that. But uh, we're I'm, we're happy to have you here. You haven't got to play a whole lot of RPGs, right?
2: No, this is uh, my first time role playing outside of the bedroom. <laughs> I hope my mother. never <laughs> this. I just
0: said it as a joke. I just went with it.
1: Well, let's all hope this experience is less disappointing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I personally I hope, hope it's true. Long. I hope it lasts longer than two seconds.
0: (laughs) What's sad is it's the exact same character. (laughs) (laughs) And now we know you're a kink. (laughs) Just listen, I just, baby, let me just be a paladin (laughs) for one night. I
1: will smite
0: thee.
3: Now I know (laughs) why. Why I got this seat here, why it was left over. Somebody needed to be close to me.
0: All right. He's very touching. Now, now that voice is our good friend Jake. Jake, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Say hi. Hi,
3: I'm Jake. I've done a couple voices for the Adventures of Vault before, Uh, most notably um, Sailor number three.
0: There's also (laughs) Cookler and the Beast. The Beast. Such a good voice. It really I, I, is, man. I feel like we haven't seen the end of, of the beast. Uh, um, no, we're we're excited, excited to have you. Uh, you are uh, an RPG veteran, of course. We, you and I and Adam have played a lot together. So, I, ironically, cool I don't consider myself
3: much of a veteran. I still feel like very new to the whole thing every time I sit down, every time, and I hope it stays that way. I hope it keeps me on edge, trying to bring my full attention. And, you know, whatever I have to offer to the table.
0: No pressure on the story. Got it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. Yeah. I'm a bit nervous now. Anyway, I'll be playing uh, Sigorum, who is a full-blooded orc. That's...
0: Yeah, I'm not going into spoilers yet. That's all you get. And we're going to get into the characters a little more uh, in a bit here. But uh, let's get to our... Not last, or... uh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Ashley, hi, what's it, up? It's okay. You can
4: say I'm the last person. <laughs>
1: he was trying to say, I think, not the least. Yeah. I'm stumbled. So.
4: It's okay. I already know that the only reason I'm here is to bring diversity to the table for you. So now, it's fine. We're Matt, fine.
0: <laughs> you are responding to a help ad and just literally walked off the street 15 minutes ago. So no pressure. Um, hi. <laughs> we're going to refer to you as Token.
2: <laughs> oh, God. God, God, God damn. <laughs>
0: You can cut it.
3: <laughs> she that would it be a good first. character name, though. You know, like a backup character.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Might happen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now, oh, now, this is not your first rodeo in RPGs, right? You've, you've, you've done some playing.
4: Yeah. So actually, um, whenever I was in like sixth grade, one of my cousins, um, his dad had like an old, like third edition. D and D book, and so he'd bring it over, and we would play at the kitchen table all the time. And then I have some other friends that I actually meet with and play D and D with frequently. So
0: uh, it's fifth ed, right?
4: Yeah, that's fifth yeah. ed. This is actually my first time playing Pathfinder, mm-hmm. and um, I did not think the differences would be so large for me, at least learning it.
0: The, yeah, because like in some ways they're very similar, and other ways they're not.
4: No, exactly.
0: And that's what that's what can screw with you. You know AC is AC is AC but you're like yeah that spell works way different than fifth ed. But you know we'll we'll get there. You know it's a learning process.
4: I'm going to have a lot of those. <laughs>
0: that's okay cuz I uh, you know I'm as a GM I'm probably going to just hand wave a lot of shit cuz I won't look it up. So, you know. <laughs> That's, that's a really the type of enthusiasm and dedication we want to start off with.
3: <laughs> yeah, me too. You know, I mean? I'm just going to go for it and see if you'd let me
0: get away with it. There's a, yeah, because it's a good chance. It's like, well, what about my Oracle ability? I'm like, it's your Oracle ability, motherfucker. I don't know shit about that. It's
5: Fuck. Okay. So
2: <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure it's a plus 15. I don't want to look it up. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's split the difference. Plus 13. Oh, it hits. I rolled the dice. Can't miss.
4: Yeah. but um yeah i'm gonna be playing minui and very excited
0: i'm excited we have done a, a
4: <laughs> <laughs> i'm also very awkward
0: <laughs> well you play rpgs so yeah uh
4: we, we've
0: actually been we've been doing some test sessions so like this is like we didn't just show up on mics and hope this worked out you guys have Putting some pretty good work in.
3: I'd have Um, kept them in the dark on that one. That way we seem okay for beginners.
0: Right. Well, I just wanted to explain that, like, (laughs) why you guys are are sober now, as as opposed to the test sessions. (laughs) In in all fairness, we don't remember them. So I mean, did they really happen?
1: If you want to hear them, please (laughs) donate to our
0: Patreon account. (laughs) (laughs) No, for real though. Like, email me. Oh, I stand by.
4: Directly to my Venmo, please, or Cash App.
0: Yeah, we'll We'll drop that.
3: Forgive my slurring. For money, I will drink and play
1: games. <laughs> He'll do a lot more than that. Yeah.
3: But we can't talk about it on podcast.
0: Well, <laughs> I signed papers. You
3: can do a little bit of
0: it, but like, you know, plug your Instagram and just, you know, let's move on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> a couple of things we're going to do for this podcast. We decided that we throw a couple of little things in to spice it up. That we were going to use the Critical Fumble Deck. So when you roll a nat 1, I'm not ever going to roll that because my dice are loaded, but when you guys do it, (laughs) uh, you're going to pull from the critical fumble deck. We'll have a good laugh. Coincidentally, on the flip side of that, we also have the critical hit deck. So when I roll critical hits, um, I'll get to pull from that. (laughs) Calm down, Rich. I'm hoping that, that GM love just keeps going, uh, right? I just roll like firecrackers and. Nah, uh, I'm
1: hoping you roll like you do when you're a player character, and it's this is easy.
0: We're gonna find out. We're gonna find out.
3: Uh, I expect for him to roll critical on me, the first roll that pertains to me in combat, as usual. <laughs> So Jake's calling my first shot, yep. B-
1: Babe Ruth style. And I'm going to call that. I'm going to roll a Nat 1 first, first shot on that, because I think I did at least two of the practice sessions. So <laughs> I'll just keep that train rolling. Just, you know, sometimes you want to get them
0: out of the way.
4: We want to get off that. We want to derail that train. Okay?
0: <laughs> uh, one big change I think we're going to do, because it's like using the critical hit and fumble decks, that is not really groundbreaking. Hopefully no. it's fun, but I don't think it's really anything. Like using a Paizo product is not like, ooh, edgy. <laughs> One thing we are going to try, though, is to change up combat a little bit and to make that as cinematic as possible. Uh, So we're going to do something. I don't know if it's how long it's going to last or if it's going to work, but I'm going to give you my monsters ACs. Uh, We're still going to roll dice, but we're going to focus less on the traditional, like, oh, right, that's a 17 hit. No. And for those worried about
1: metagaming, we're not that smart, so that's kind of out the window.
0: Yeah, you know, and I, you know, saves... Still going to roll. Like, I'm not just going to give them the monster sheet and be like, here you go. But, like, I think we're going to try to speed up the traditional elements of a a, a live play RPG podcast that tend to get a little dry. You know, and if it works, that's great. I I think it would do well if we decide to abandon it down the road. That's fine, too. But I I felt we should at least talk about it a little. So having said that, anybody got anything that they want to add before we kind of get into it
3: we don't mean to cheat it's just gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> one for game speed it's like am i adding all the right things in here oh i don't know give me the hit i'll yeah. take the damage yeah you know we're,
1: it, yeah we're grown adults playing a game we're gonna give it that that level of
0: you know, the the for me the closer i can get this to a movie the more i like it <clears throat> hopefully what that translates to is a smooth free form podcast that sounds tight we're going to find out though. It's it's not something any of us are used to. It's an experiment.
4: Well, it's almost it's going to be really nice cuz I feel like it's almost going to be like when you're reading a book and you're reading the words and you're picturing it in your mind. It's just like an audiobook about a game played by adults.
0: Agreed. When I listen to a live play podcast, uh, that's where it tends to slow down for me is can they make the dice rolling interesting? And some do. A
1: lot don't. I think the ones that succeed the most are the ones that are very good at storytelling or the ones that make you feel like you're sitting there with them playing the game.
0: And I don't know if I'm that
1: good to be honest. <laughs> well, in all fairness, it's probably just us that's going to be listening to this, so yeah. no pressure. Yeah,
0: but you know, the the, the happier we're going to be. At the, at the end of the day, I
1: get a really dedicated GM that's made a well thought out story campaign, so that's all I need from this. Are they are they coming? <laughs>
0: <laughs> he fucking bought it. <laughs> Where did they get here? I want to play. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me! I was, I was like, I was like, what?
4: I don't think Rich is coming today, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> that, uh, one additional caveat: we're going to start off at level three. Yes, because level ones are boring. Flavor. <laughs> did on the other podcast?
2: Did you guys start off at level one? We
0: in fact started off at level one. Oh, and like Rich was like, survive. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, I mean, there's
1: always that certain thing when you're level one where, like, even if you're like, you ran into a rat, it's like, oh, fuck, am I going to live or die? Yeah. <laughs> Every combat has that, like, one hit can mean my death <laughs> kind of thing. Like, God help me, crits are, you know, crits are, ki- <laughs> ki- you know, character killers. When,
0: when you're level one, Goblin Slayer is a is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the tone we hope to have in this podcast. <laughs> Well, you're like you're like I have this epic backstory and you're like a level one rogue and you're like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure you do. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're like I guarded the kings of men for generations. What are you like a level one barrister? Like that doesn't line up with
1: the story. Again, some, like, overly large bobcat comes up and scratches you on the ad- arm you <laughs> yeah. die of filth fever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Real badass over there. Watch out. It
2: <laughs>
0: so, doesn't even matter that his parents died when he was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> At least with level three, you get a couple of abilities. We can kind of you know, expedite the, the fun a little bit. I can, like, up the danger level immediately. Yeah, you fight something other than the classic
1: giant rat in yeah. the sewer. Yeah. Goblins that have daggers and bows. Yeah,
0: like a sickly goblin appears, and then you struggle with it for a half hour. No, nah. let's, let's go straight to the owl Let's
1: go. Let's get straight to the good stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know. I'm trying to think of if I've ever played a level one character. Yeah. I hopped on when I originally hopped on with with all of you guys, enjoying your campaign. That was the Minds of Vandelver. We I started out at level two just before we hit level three. Alright, well, sorry, guys. Go ahead. Roll back. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Hell's Rebels? He can
3: just catch yeah, up. Yeah. Hell's Rebels. Yeah, okay, we started a one. A couple on Hell's
0: Rebels. Yeah. Stop lying. What the fuck? Just, I just love the lie. It's so much fun. Everyone judge him now. <laughs> Do He's <it>. a
4: shit.
1: <laughs> oh, Jesus.
4: <laughs>
1: yeah. Now you guys know my kink. <laughs> okay. A
3: couple of warnings. There's going to be a lot of shit talk, a lot of language, and the occasional
0: yelling. I feel like maybe we ought to say that now. I would definitely say, like, uh, everybody don't get butt hurt, because we're all pretty awful people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If you want to feel better about yourself,
0: listen to us. (laughs) If you want a heroic tale of camaraderie and people who grow to love each other in the face of adversity, this is probably not the podcast.
1: (laughs) We are the Watchmen to the Avengers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The the boys. There we go. (laughs) He just chucked that baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On that point, we are not
0: murder hobos. I guess that remains to be seen. <laughs> we're gonna find out though. But so what we're gonna do is I'm gonna go ahead and do some little vignettes, introduce each character, uh, and we're just gonna go ahead and jump right in. Woo-hoo. So why don't we start? Anybody wanna? Anybody wanna go first? I will. I don't care. All right. Get that over with. So the city pans across a, a swath of a continent. And as it pans down, we see that there is six cities. Five of them ring a smaller town in the middle. Almost as if the town in the middle is the focal point of this area. And we pan to a sign that says Barber Town. And as we float through this, it's almost an idyllic town. We see that the the people here are generally happy. The streets are are relatively clean. You know, it's not a large city, but it's decent sized. You see a lot of inns, bars. Um, You think that the six cities... There's a lot of travel that comes through here as people go from town to town, and the city of Barberton has developed almost essentially a host economy. But one of the businesses that we see as we float through appears to be a physician shop. We see a sign with two hands wrapped around a feather, the traditional sign of an apothecary or healer. And sitting on the front porch of this small house slash business is a gnome in a chair with his feet up. Adam, what do we see? Uh, we see a
1: on the younger side of middle-aged gnome uh, with black hair that looks like it's almost bleached out a little bit and if you know anything about gnomes you know about the bleaching so that it looks like a little bit of that has occurred with this individual um, looks a little like I said a little rough on the face like somebody who either hasn't hasn't gotten as much sleep or has recovered from an illness or something like that uh,
0: scraggly beard hair pulled up and almost like a man bun now in the world of Pathfinder uh, in the world of the Stolen Lands uh, a bleaching Uh, is what happens to a gnome when they really kind of stop having new experiences. And, you know, gnomes are essentially immortal as long as they can keep having new experiences. Now, what in our stolen lands, there are no gnomish gods anymore. They all died during the gods' war. However, a lot of them have turned to the worship of Kalamaya. She's kind of at least, like, made a place for them. But gnomes are relatively rare. But here we have an example of one sitting on a front porch. Stepping outside the front door is a gnomish woman uh, who looks to be about the same age as our our character Will here and uh, a young boy with them. And we can surmise that this is Will's family. She looks over and is like, honey, we're gonna go to the market. Uh, Do you need anything? No, I'm good. Right. Well, just hold down the fort and try not to fall asleep too much. Okay, sweetie. Oh, I'll be at a rapt attention. All right. We'll see you later. Love you. And the two head off to the market. And it's a pretty peaceful, happy scene. We see that Will's kind of enjoying the day and reaches into a pouch and pulls out a pipe. Starts loading it with some some nice-looking fresh tobacco. For a moment, though, his hand shakes, and he reaches into a different pouch and pulls out a small blue crystal. Eyeballing it, he decides to put it in with the tobacco and lights up the pipe and begins to smoke it. And after a bit, his eyes kind of flutter a little bit as he leans back in his chair, obviously going to some place that isn't here. Which is all well and fine until a a small commotion happens. Coming around the corner are three rough-looking humans. Two of them are dragging a third. And he has severe wounds and is bleeding. And they're making a beeline right toward the shop. At which point, one of them, a a gnarly-looking man, uh, looks like he might sell you pocket watches. (laughs) That That Will knows. Goes by the name of Mr. Yellow. Hands! Hands, we need you! At that point, Will, annoyed that his moment of peace has been shattered, points to the back of the shop. Mr. Yellow snarls, but does what he's asked. He takes the man to the back of the shop. Kicking the door open, Will meets them back there as they place the injured man on the table. Sharp, Sharpie got into it with some of the boys on 6th Street. I'd say that's an understatement. Yeah, he's he's in a bad shape. And At that point, Mr. Yellow pulls out a pouch and throws it on on the table. Gold coins and more of those blue crystals fall out. Just, just take care of him. It's the boss's nephew. We need the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me work. And Will begins to, like, start grabbing tools of his trade. Bandages, like scalpels, needles, sutures. He's like, no, we don't have time for that shit. He's dying. We need the good shit, the magic. Will looks a bit hesitant at that point, though, because the magic's hard to come by. And as Will, like, stretches his hands out over the man's wounds, nervously, he tries. And he tries to summon those healing magics, but they don't come. Kalmaya's voice is silent now. Whether it's the drugs or the apathy, who knows, but Will can't access the power. And Mr. Yellow is just standing over Will's shoulder WHAT ARE YOU FUCKING WAITING FOR? GET IT- HE needs. HE'S DYING! DO YOU UNDERSTAND HOW DIVINE POWERS WORK? DO YOU?! The two men start to argue. At which point Sharpie, on the table, begins to react violently, spitting up blood. (laughs) And with one last gasp, Sharpie dies. ...on the table. That's what happens when you interfere. Are you fucking kidding me? You just let the boss's nephew die! Hey, I'm not the one that interrupted my, uh... ...procedure. At that point, Mr. Yellow, like, looks at the body... ...and then looks at, like, Will with just murder in his eyes. And at that point, Will realizes he's in danger. And he looks across the room where his weapon is. And everything happens at once. Where Will reaches for the weapon... ...but Mr. Yellow's just a bit faster... And grabbing Will's head, he slams it against the boards of the floor. Will's eyes swim with stars. At that point, the moment is interrupted by Will's wife and son walking back into the room. And Mr. Yellow looks at them. Take one last look, because that's the last time you'll see him. And then bounces Will's head off the floorboards. Darkness overtakes Will. And he wakes up sometime later in a dark room. There's a, a couple of lights, and as he blinks... He sees that he's in some sort of alchemy lab. There's beakers, bunsen burners, weird potions being brewed. And he recognizes this is probably some sort of drug lab. Possibly where those blue crystals are made. And as his senses come back to sharpness, he hears voices in the background. Mr. Yellow is talking to a person that Will knows is someone named Mr. Tan. What, what, do, you, what do you want done with him? Do you want us to just make him disappear? No. No, I've I've made a deal. We're going to give him to the bookworm. Mr. Yellow laughs, a nasty, evil laugh. And you hear their footsteps leave the room. At that point, Will knows he's alone and begins to struggle with his bonds. He's in danger. He's got to get out of there. At which point he feels long, strong fingers slowly caress the back of his head as they grab it. And sickly, obnoxious breath on the side of his face. But he can't see. The fingers hold him in place. And a voice says... There's an opportunity for you. For me. You're going to help me out with something. And the voice whispers something in Will's ear that is so horrible and awful. A truth that he can't quite comprehend. And he goes unconscious again. Later, Will wakes up and he's staring at a black sky. The stars are out. And he looks and to his left and right there's his backpack and he's got his his various gear and at the point he starts shuffling, Mr. Yellow walks around. And Mr. Yellow looks in at you, Will. You done fucked up. Take your shit and get out. You better not have touched my family. Uh, your family's fine. That was Our deal was always with you. Exactly. You knew that nothing was sure. Well, we, we thought we could trust you. You're just a used-up junkie. Well, good luck. Will spits on the ground in front of him and grabs his shit. Immediately, his first thought is like, I need to get home. And home is east. And Will, like, turns, but he can't go east. Because something was said in his ear that turns Will's feet towards the west. And he begins walking away from the six cities and his family in Barberton. And he doesn't quite understand why, but he knows he has to go somewhere else. And he doesn't have a choice. Will Suture... Has been cursed. Yeah. Who's next? Well done. The sunlight filters through a stained glass window into the room of a, what appears to be a pretty basic stone room. In that room, there's a bed with a figure on it. And the shadows from the stained glass swirl the purple and red over its face. At that point, the eyes of this person appear to kind of like blink open as they awaken in the morning. Now, what does this person look like? About
2: average build... Strong enough to pr- be a protector of sorts. Short, sandy blonde hair, dazzling green eyes, <laughs> chiseled jaw, sort of like a, a Disney prince. As he awakens, perfect,
0: the, just like real life. <laughs> the, the classic male stereotype. Correct. <laughs> the reason that he wakes up happens again as he hears a knock on the door. Sir, sir, do are are you awake? Aye. Figure walks in as the door opens and it's a young boy dressed in a page's outfit carrying a pitcher of water in a bowl. And he places the bowl down on a, a table, and pours the water and leaves a leaves a towel there for you to clean your face and pours a glass of water, and hands it to the hands it to you as you start to wake up. Uh, sorry to and sorry to wake you, sir. Uh Lady Brina has breakfast ready and wishes to talk to you. Uh, uh, I'll be I'll be down shortly. Yes, uh, of course, sir. And the page exits the room, closing the door behind him. Sir Dew sits on the edge of the bed, always groggy in the morning, trying to remember for a second where he is, why he is. Uh, it's always slow to come back, but he dresses in uh, a relatively simple tunic, but the kind of clothing a knight would wear underneath heavy armor. And as he readies himself, washes his face, he exits the room and, and walks through the hallways of this monastery. And, and we see that in the middle of it... Uh, it's well-built, well-constructed Corinthian columns, a ring, an open-air central area. The place is alive. There are pages, servants, uh, members of the clergy running this way and that. Even children play uh, through the columns. And there in the middle sits a, a table with a woman. She sits there. Sir Dew knows her to be Lady Brina, with hair so red it appears to be burning in the sun. Uh, sitting at the table... He looks across the various pastries and breakfast and fruit. A decent fare for a breakfast, but bypassing all of that, Sir Dew reaches for a pitcher and fills a goblet with wine, and then fills the ladies. How did you sleep? Very well. How are you today, Lady Brina? I'm fine. Uh, please, please dig it. We, we have a few things to discuss. What do you have on your mind? Well, we've recovered some new information. Information about the things we wish to know about and some of the things you want to know about. Very well. We discovered the location of your missing queen and our missing legions. They're trapped. Okay, and then? Well, it's it's hard to describe. The, the information's incomplete. We found a scroll, but our, our scribes and, and future sight masons say it can only be read once. But we think it, it says where the things we both want are.
2: And what are you wanting me to do with these scrolls?
0: I, I, think, I think you need to read it. Me? Well, that's kind of our deal. That's why you're here. You want to know where your lady friend is, and we want to know what we want to know and where it's at. And we think it's in the same place. And I think if you read the scroll, the scroll is going to disappear. But we think you're our best bet for finding everything that we both want. So, uh, according to our deal, we'll outfit you. We'll get you the gear you need. And then you'll travel to this place, wherever it is, and find out what we need to know. And where can I find these scrolls? She, like, reaches under the table and sets it on the table. And it's an old scroll. Like, it looks weathered and dusty. Parchment doesn't last forever, but this somehow looks like it has. I I don't think you need to read it here, but I think the time has come. I think you're ready. We've got a ship at the port waiting for you, to take you wherever you need to go. Wherever this is, we know it's not here. Are you prepared to take the journey? I am. With that, she nods, uh, and you both drain your goblets. Some time passes, and Sir Arthur is standing on the deck of a ship in plate armor. As sailors go by his back, they make warning signs. To wear a plate on the deck of a ship. If something were to go wrong, there would be no way you'd survive. But Arthur understands because he read the scroll. Nothing's going to happen. He has to go where he has to go now. He has no choice. And the world is going to make sure he gets there. Because when Arthur read the scroll, he was cursed. So who's up next? I'll go. All right. Traditional order here. Let's go. We see that it's a crisp autumn day. A breeze blows gently through the leaves and boughs of a gorgeous apple orchard. Its branches are full, ready for the picking. Delicious red apples, ready to be harvested. We see that a figure is walking through the trees. Jake, what does that figure look like? We see a very tall and a very wide,
3: very muscular-looking orc. Full-blooded orc. He almost seems lost as he's making his way through the orchard. Maybe he's never been here before he's never seen things quite like this before he's got a long ponytail braided all the way down the back of
0: his spine the figure blinks and he's no longer walking through the orchard he's walking through the scene of a battlefield orcs and men in armor battle killing and slaughtering each other we see several orcs hold one knight down as a third orc puts a sword right through the visor of his face screams echo through there clouds hang over It's this, this is death. This is war. It's classic form. And figures are dying. Blinks again, and he's back in the orchard. It is beautiful, serene. The dichotomy of this confuses the figure. He, in one hand, he's in peace. Peace like he's never known. But then he blinks again, and he's back in war. A fight for survival that. Is so intense that he's never felt it in his life. Blinks again. Apple Orchard. Peace. Blinks again back at the battlefield. But this time there's a figure in front of him. Covered in shadow. And before he can even react, there's pain in his throat. Something is stabbed right through. He gasps for air. The pain intense. He can't breathe. He feels the blood flowing through. And he falls. Blinking. He lands in the soft grass. Looking up at the trees again peaceful, serene. The figure's confused, but he blinks again, pain in his throat, and at that point, the figure wakes up. The world is rocking gently. The figure realizes he's in the back of a, a wagon, laying in a bed, not sure where he's at, though. A figure walks into the wagon, looking up. It's covered. It's like a small little hut. Oh, good, good. You're, you're awake. He reaches and finds a glass of water and hands it to the orc. What's your name? My name is... My... My name. And as, as he tries to remember, he begins to cough. Violently. There's still that pain in his throat. And as he keeps coughing, he spits out flecks of dried blood and what looks like a piece of bone. But as the bone hits the ground, it shatters in dust and is gone immediately. But the, the orc manages to, to find his voice. But all he can really remember is his name. <clears throat> <clears throat>
5: My name is Sogorum.
0: The man gives him a, a flask of water. And Sogorum drinks it down, gulping it greedily. Throat just so dry. The cold water hurts, but he, he needs it. Well, uh, here, drink up, my friend. Uh, we, we thought you, we lost you. We found you in the ruins of Fort Chitin. The orcs didn't leave a single one of their dead behind. They left the bodies of all of our knights and people. Well, they... For some reason, they didn't butcher you as badly as they did the rest. You must be very strong to have survived. I, I was kind of hoping you could tell us what happened. And and the figure now that Sigorum can kind of look at him. He's an older middle aged man, a balding head, wearing something of a kind of a knight's uniform himself, like a light armor. Uh, but he's carrying no weapon. But you know he he looks like he had a military bearing. Maybe he's getting a little soft in the middle. But this man has served.
5: I'm afraid I cannot remember.
0: Well, that's a a side effect of how far gone you were, I imagine. Um, but rest for now, Sigorum. We're heading to Torencia. We'll we'll file a report of what happened there and get reinforcements. Maybe maybe you'll remember something. Uh, but you're you're safe now. You'll be okay. That orc band is still on the move and we don't know what their intentions are. I am Sergeant Mankai. It's good to meet you. But at that point, Sigorum remembers one thing. He remembers a a white banner with red letters on it. Red symbols. And he remembers that they were the Red Word Tribe.
5: The Red Word...
0: Was that the... Was that the orcs? I don't know. The Red Word Tribe.
5: Maybe It, it was me.
0: I don't... I don't know. If it was, they left you behind. Clearly, they didn't think you were that friendly. I... I think you were trying to help, but it it, it doesn't matter. Get rest now. And Thank they, you. You're welcome. And like he like pats your hand, and the caravan carries on for a few more days. Segorum slowly regaining his his strength, uh, but not much of his memory. But on one of those nights, they're gathered around a fire, eating a bit of roasted mutton. Everyone getting their their fill, and Segorum eyes keeps looking toward a direction off in the distance. He's not totally sure why. He just keeps looking at a certain direction. Sergeant Mankind looks at him says, What's What's wrong, sigorm
5: I feel compelled. Conflicted. Lost.
0: You, you need to go, don't you?
5: I need to remember.
0: I don't know if there's anything else we can do for you.
5: You've done enough.
0: Are you going to leave us? Yes. Hold on. The sergeant reaches in the back of one of the wagons and pulls out a, a crate. Dropping it on the ground, he pries open the lid. Looking inside, Segorum sees a set of armor. It's dirty. Seen some battle damage. But it, it's functional. Lifting up the helmet, the sergeant shows him that there's a little bit of blood still on it. I buried my boy. There wasn't enough of him left to bring back to, to his mother. You know, he, he doesn't need this armor anymore. You should take
5: it. I'm afraid I cannot repay this kindness.
0: It's fine. It's uh I think it's fate. In in your tongue, in the orc tongue, what does Sigorum mean?
5: The worth of burden or the burden of worth.
0: See, for for us, in the old tongue it it means apple. Apple. And like he lifts the shield out of the crate, and on it is a painting of an apple and it's been badly damaged. And it's like this this is this is our symbol. And I my son's gone. I don't need this anymore. we my line ends. But I think you're meant to have this. I think he'd want you to have it. I want you to have it. So no, there's there's no debt. But I, I think there's destiny.
5: Sometimes names and words take on new meaning. Thank you.
0: Good luck, my friend. I, I hope you find what you're looking for. And as Sigorum armors up, taking the shield and weapon that goes with it, he begins to head off, following a star. Because unbeknownst to him, Sigorum has been cursed.
4: Definitely the biggest cock in the room.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He's got that big dick energy, I think, is what it was.
2: <laughs> Yeah, yes, that's, that's
0: it's got nothing to do with him being but an in orc. a
3: placid state.
1: <laughs> 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 that's what we T- type of guy that's like, please get a get a longer loincloth. We're all
2: we're
0: all <laughs> sick of seeing the tip. <laughs> Once you go orc, it's the only way you want to pork. <laughs> oh, now, when you think of a traditional city, you think of Skellywick. Dirty streets, crowded, busy marketplace, gray skies—a place you don't want to look like you're a tourist at. A figure walks through the crowded streets of Skellywick. The market is already busy in the morning. She's tall, with a pixie haircut, and moves with purpose. Her sharp nose and angular features showcase a life lived hard. But she moves with utter confidence, a tight loose smile for the people she sees in the market, those that see her not in respect. Occasionally a figure approaches. They'll place something in her hand. Maybe a small bag that seems to be coins, a small gem, a piece of paper with information. But always... There's just a little bit of space around her as she moves through the crowd. This woman commands respect, so it's all the more strange when a small cat girl runs out of nowhere and barrels into her, clutching a loaf of bread. I'm sorry. With that, the cat girl dodges to the side and runs off through the crowd. Renee standing there, almost shocked at what just happened. At which point, a, a large man wearing a baker's hat runs through the crowd. Ah, ah, ah so, sorry, Miss Renee. The thief stole a loaf of bread. She holds up a hand to quell any further discussion and tosses him a silver coin. He takes it, his desire to check it like he normally does to make sure it's fake, he he stops. Because he knows that'll get him killed. He pockets the coins. Thank thank you, ma'am. She dismisses him with a hand and turns to where the cat girl ran off. A mystery that needs solving. She begins to move through the crowd, not with purpose and power but like a fish through water, easily dodging through the crowd quickly, moving fast, a life spent learning how to move through the city. Eventually she makes her way to an alley, and looking down, she sees the little cat girl, next to a a small built hovel, leftover pieces of wood and trash, a, a place to stay warm and dry. The cat girl is starting to get the bread ready to eat, and she walks up behind her. So, who just are you? Uh, um, uh, the girl freezes and stares, open mouthed. The woman she, she begins to stammer, an apology, something. But the woman holds her hand up. It's it's all right. Just a name. M- Min Minui. Do you know why I'm here? I I took the bread. I'm Renee Doppler. I'm a member of an organization in this city. You don't seem to know how things work here in Skellywick.
4: No. I... I... I'm not from here.
0: I I don't care you stole, girl. Stealing to survive is like breathing air. It's natural. It's the way the universe intends for us to survive if we have no other way. I don't care you stole. I care you stole on my turf. Without my permission. And she holds her hand out. The girl sheepishly places their loaf of bread in her hand. The woman takes a chunk of bread off the end, only about a quarter of it, and hands the little girl most of the loaf back. See, it's about respect. You can do whatever you want here in this city, but you need to make sure the family gets a cut. Do you understand? Yes, ma'am. Other than that, you'll have no problems here. Feeling a little more relieved, the, the cat girl takes the loaf and gnaws on it a bit, but she's like, mm. she makes a face it's not quite the way she wants it and as she's holding the bread, we see her hands begin to glow with a, a warmth, a heat and the bread begins to toast Renee sees this and you have powers?
4: Uh, ever s- since I can remember
0: she smiles It's it's good bread, isn't it?
4: delicious tell you what Minui, is it? Yeah, yes, ma'am.
0: Come with me, and you'll never have to be hungry again.
4: Are, are you sure?
0: Yes, yes. I promise, there's a place for special people like you in the family. And she holds out her hand.
4: Thank Thank you so much.
0: Years pass and the camera pans the interior of a dark warehouse. Torchlight flickers across the almost empty room except for two figures standing next to a table. One of them is Renee. She's much older now, her hair far gray, but still carries an air of importance and power to her. Standing next to her, what do we see?
4: We see a medium build, about five foot eight tall Catwoman. She has black fur with one spot of white on her forehead. She's wearing a leather vest with a white puffy shirt and cotton pants. And she has very large, green eyes, just taking in the world.
0: Not the scared girl in an alley, but someone that carries with her the confidence of power and position. They stand next to a table filled with artifacts. A strange collection of things that might not normally hold interest. A, a broken scepter, a wand. Something about them is interesting. Walking into the room is a group of figures, dressed in various outfits, some brandishing weapons. An air of menace around them as a figure separates from the crowd and walks forward. He's a tall man wearing expensive robes with arcane signals in them. Braided into his hair are several feathers.
4: Hello, Gerard. Dr-
0: Minui. Charming as always. Mrs. Dappler, what do you have for me today? Artifacts. We lifted them from the Gladhand Collective. We think some of them date as pre-God's War, The man leans down, running a hand over the artifacts. A scepter, a broken staff, pages in a strange dialect. His eyes glow as he casts a spell of identification. You know, we aren't supposed to run operations against the glad hands at the moment.
4: The boss said it was okay, so just check it out, see what we can do.
0: Minui smiles, dismissing the man. Drac lifts his head and sneers back. He nods to a figure behind him who comes up and joins him. A large hulking brute of a woman steps forward and offers Drak a bag. Smiling wickedly, he dumps the bag out on the table. A severed head rolls out of the bag and comes to rest, staring at the two women. You mean him? At that point, everyone springs into action. Minui grabs one of the figures coming at her, her hands starting to glow with power, aiming to end the life of this person who would dare. But she hears in the background, Ah, ah, ah! I wouldn't! Turning to see the hulking brute of a woman has Renee Dappler pinned to the table. Drac has his own hand crackling with his own energy aimed at her face. I. wouldn't.
4: What's this about, you bastard? (laughs) You always.
0: you always dismiss me. You always forget when we were young that you did this to me. And he points at a scarred face.
4: It, It was an accident and we were children.
0: Yes, well. You think you're so important to the family that you've risen up. Well, those times are over. I'm in charge now. I run things. So here's my offer. I'm going to hand you a scroll. And all you have to do is go outside and read it. And I won't kill her. Minue see Renee's eyes grow wide as she begins to struggle. Don't. Don't do it. Don't read it. The hulking woman slams Renee's head against the table to silence her. Just... Go outside and read it.
4: You swear you won't hurt Renee?
0: I promise. You have my word.
4: And what if your word is not good?
0: Oh, it, it's... <laughs> I promise you, my word is good. I. This will be enough.
4: Fine, you swine. Hand me the scroll.
0: He hands it over. Minui walks into the cold air of the night. She unfurls the scroll. The lack of streetlight, no issue to her. She can... The lack of streetlight, no issue, as her cat eyes can read in the dark. She unfolds the scroll and begins to read it, utterly confused at its contents, until a realization dawns on her. She begins walking to the north, because Minui has been cursed.
2: That was awesome. All this was awesome.
0: Good stories. So we see a smash cut of four figures traveling through the world. Various times it's cold, various times it's hot. Sometimes they deal with different things. At one point, Will is surrounded by wolves. He bears his weapon and begins to prepare to fight for his life, but one wolf walks forward and sniffs him, sneezing. The wolves walk away. At one point, we see Sir Arthur brandishing his sword as a group of thugs begin to accost him, but at the last minute, they just shake their heads and begin to walk away. No no surprise that an orc in full armor can travel through the land unmolested, occasionally meeting people, but they always turn away at the last minute. Possibly scared, possibly something else. We see Minuit travel also. Just sometimes there's dangers, but at the last second, they turn away. And fate seems to propel these four figures forward. And they travel, and they travel. And over time, they begin to find that they come to a land, rising into the hills at the foot of mountains a smash cut of each one cresting a ridge and looking down into a hovel town and what appears to be very similar to something like the Andes Mountains. Sir Arthur, you travel to the edge of town where people speak a strange language and you begin to ask for help, but they look you over almost recognition. and They, they don't speak a tongue you understand, but they point to the edge of town. About that time, Sigorum is walking through the town, looking left and right looking for something. He's not sure what. But the figures at the edge of town pointed this way, so he's heading that way. We also see Minui navigating the hovels in town. No one no one will really talk to her. No one will really look her in the eye. It's strange. It's not uncommon to see a catfolk, but they still, they won't look at her. And finally we cut to Will coming to a hut. We're sitting outside this hut is a small corral with furry four-legged animals. They're tall compared to him but uh, they're not quite horses they have very long necks six straight up and a figure walks out ah you uh, you look for the pack beast we call them we call them packa beast anything that gets me off my feet yes yes come in you are a traveler yes unfortunately i am what's known and we smash cut to the same figure is talking to sir arthur they called me the shirt pie. i'm here to guide you To where you need to go. We smash cut. The same figure is talking to Sigorum. See, you're kind. Well, you're born under the... We smash cut. We see the same figure talking to Sigorum. I am this one of the Sherpai. I am born... I am born under the second unluckiest star in the sky. We smash cut to the same figure talking to Minuet. It is my job to guide those who are born under the unluckiest star where they need to go. So you know. I know a little. I know you have to go somewhere. And it is my job to get you there. Whatever resolves this. I am the Sherpae. I guide.
2: Where is it that we're going to be traveling to?
0: Out of town. Into a valley. And what's in that valley, I don't know. I think you'll see something. It is your task to go there. And it is my job to guide you. I am the Sherpae. Will it be what I am looking for? For your sake, I hope so. What is my purpose? To go to this place. Why? I, uh, I don't know if it is your purpose, but... From my understanding, it's a curse. You have no choice. A curse? You have to go here. Just as I have to take you. I am the Sherpai.
4: Does the curse get lifted once we get there?
0: I don't know for sure but no one a Sherpa has ever guided has come back. So he, he said the Sherpa never come back. No, no. He said the, the ones that the Sherpa guides never come back.
5: Am I dead?
0: No, no. You are alive. I am no guide of the dead. I guide the living.
4: And no one survived?
0: I do not know if they don't survive. I just know that they don't come back.
2: If I don't come back... Will the person or persons that I am going after be able to come back?
0: I have no idea what you're looking for or who's in there. If you do not come back, you do not come back. And I will still be here, for I am the Sherpai. Do we travel to another plane? Possibly. But I take you to a valley. I am no mystic scholar or arcanist, I don't know the deep mysteries. I just know I guide. Those that come, I am the Sherpai. How long
5: have you been guiding?
0: My whole life. As my father did before me. And his father did before them. We are born under the second unluckiest star in the sky.
5: Is it always the same? They come. We take them. Have I been here before?
0: I have never met you.
4: And you said you guide those that are born under the unluckiest star?
0: Yes, I guide those born under the unluckiest star. For while I am cursed, you are cursed even worse. Well, as much as I love cryptic riddles, let's get on with it.
2: Very well. I am ready for my travels.
0: Seems the only way is for
4: whatever I need to do to get back.
0: At which point, we do a smash cut of the four of you, awkwardly getting on some sort of what he calls a pack of beast. They're furry, but. They're relatively docile. He mounts one, you mount one, and the beast begins to follow as he rides his pack of beast out of the town, down into a valley. You travel for a couple of hours, and at what point he stops. The pack of beast will go no further. Looking ahead, each of you sees that there's a road.
4: Well, it looks like a pretty clear-cut path for us.
0: I do not know. I cannot see beyond that veil. And like, for you guys, there's a road right there, a clear path. But the eye says, I cannot see. Well, it appears your services are no longer required. Good luck to you, my friend.
4: Thank you, it appears I'll need it.
5: <laughs> I can't say I'll be able to remember you, but, um, thank you for guiding me and carrying the weight that you bear.
0: For as long as I live, I will remember you, my friend. Good luck.
2: Thank you for your services, Sherpai. You are welcome.
0: Good luck, my friend. And with that, we have a smash cut of him leading the pack of beasts away. And each of the four feathers looking at him go, before finally looking to the road and walking down it. And they enter the mist... The road goes deeper into a valley deeper deeper but they lose sight as they enter this mist that blocks all vision but eventually the four figures walk out of the mist into the same place into the same time and these four figures see that they are no longer alone and we'll discuss what happens next episode